Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Jory Rose about the importance of mindfulness to reduce stress and anxiety and to increase attention, focus, peace, happiness, and joy. Jory Rose, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. John, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. I'm really excited to have you joining us and to to pick your brain uh, in your area of expertise. Uh, You're a bit of an atypical guest on this podcast, given your background, which I'll I'll share with the listeners in just a second. Uh, But it's very, very applicable to healthy organizations, to healthy employer-employee mindsets, and to having um, motivated employees that can come and be their whole selves uh, and contribute in the workplace. Um, So that is a little bit of a tease. Um, Let me share uh, with the listeners your bio. Jory Rose is a licensed marriage and family therapist, mindfulness and meditation teacher, coach, author, speaker, and she also leads mindfulness retreats around the world. Jory has helped thousands of people to live happier and more fulfilling lives through living with greater awareness and compassion, allowing them to decrease their stress, anxiety, and shed unhealthy habits, patterns, and mindsets. Jory is a host of the podcast Journey Forward with Jory Rose and has authored two mindfulness books, Squirmy Learns to Be Mindful in Mindfulness and It's Elementary, and it has been featured on OprahMag.com, NBCNews.com, Business Insider, KTLA News, and more. Um, again, such a, a great background. I love that you have a, you. Fam- yeah, a family therapist, marriage and ther- uh, family therapist background, as well as your, your speaking and coaching and teaching background. Um, again, I think this is incredibly important skill set and, and topic area to bring into the workplace. So I, I look forward to discussing some of these topics with you today. Well, and I think, you know, it's relevant in all aspects of our lives. And, you know, we were chatting for a few moments before we hit record. And until we have the ability to look at ourselves with curiosity and compassion, we're going to stay stuck and be in our own way. So whether that's in relationship, in business, you know, interpersonally, our own personal lives, it's the work that I think is the most important. But of course, I'm biased, so... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, and looking at ourselves first, I like how you frame it that way. We need to look at ourselves, be critically self-reflective, um, learn to be patient and compassionate towards ourselves. And as we develop that, that then enables us to, to project that out to others. We, we often talk about unhealthy projections, but there's also healthy, mm-hmm. um, healthy ways of taking our, our healthy selves and then having that impact those around us. 
Yeah. And you know, here's the thing, John, is people don't want to do that because it's hard work. We often don't want to look within because there might be some things that are difficult to see or to sit with. And as a result, we stay distracted and we stay busy. There's huge value. And it really, you know, this is the piece of the, the pie that changed my entire life was cultivating a mindfulness practice which for me was the ability for the first time in my mid thirties to slow down, to get out of my head, to stop believing all my thoughts, to get out of anxiety and fear of the what ifs and the unknowns, and to be able to tune into my body of, what am I actually feeling? What am I experiencing? How can I reconcile the not knowing how I got here? Cause I was just on autopilot my whole life. And while, you know, that constant what's next, what's next, what's next, you know, created a beautiful life, but yet I was completely out of alignment. Yeah. And yeah. it affected everything. It affected my ability to know who I was. It affected my ability to feel seen in my relationships. It got me stuck in my parenting. It kept me stuck from developing my career. I had to get out of my own way in every which aspect of my life. And therapy is helpful, but I'm also a pretty untraditional therapist. And this is why the mindfulness component is so important to me in my work, because therapy is great. And it also doesn't always give us the tools to move forward. You know, therapy can give us the ability to understand our past. It can give us greater insight into our patterns, into who we are. But what I find most people really want is when they say, I'm stuck, I don't know how to move forward. Right. So that awareness, not processing and understanding is a, is a big component, but it's not the answer. And to me, and, you know, I, I'm a little bit biased again in this, but I think my bonus is the answer to everything because it's all about how can you respond and not react to what's arising? How can we learn to be present even with what's hard? Because we tend to push away, ignore, deny, resist what we don't like. And we tend to grasp and cling and attach and overly identify with what we do like. And in doing so, we cut off half of our human experience. And if we're doing that within ourselves, we're most certainly doing it with others. Yeah, so much uh, there that you just said that I love. Um, Which is why I paused, because I could keep going. But I thought, let me yeah. just pause, because I'm sure we can delve in a little bit more on just that. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great starting point. Um, and I, and I love how you talk about how I appreciate you being vulnerable and talking about how in your own life you felt stuck and you're kind of going through the motions, going through the grind. I imagine you're largely responding to kind of societal family expectations, um, of what like the good life is and what you should be doing. And so you're just checking off boxes, going down the path of life and not that there's anything wrong with any individual box, right? There, there's nothing wrong with starting a family, getting married, having kids, buying a house, whatever, you know, moving forward in your career, but it's not about the checklist and, right. and just, and not everyone's path is going to be the same and, and that's okay. And that, and we need to be ready to embrace that and be comfortable with that and not hold ourselves to others' expectations for us, but rather live our, be our own authentic self. I, I, I married my high school sweetheart who I was with since I was 13 years old. 
And I can honestly say I had everything I ever wanted. I, even though I had gotten a master's degree in counseling, I got halfway through my hours towards my licensure and halfway through, I decided I didn't have any business at that point in my life being anyone's therapist, despite some family um, traumas and, you know, pain of, in our, my family history growing up, I didn't have any real personal life experience that I thought would benefit me guiding other people through their lives. And I was a stay-at-home mom, had, you know, I always wanted two daughters. I've got two daughters, had the, the luxury of being able to be a stay-at-home mom, loved every second of it. And yet I woke up one day in my early 30s saying, how did I get here? And it was this essential crisis, which by every account, I should have been happy. Everything was perfectly checked off. And I'll qualify, I was happy, but I wasn't fulfilled. And that felt like for many, as they observed me, a really selfish process I went through. And yet I think it was what I needed because it was where I gained my authenticity. And there's nothing selfish about self-exploration, but by other people's judgments, you have it perfect. What is wrong? But when you're out of alignment and you don't know who you are and you're living on autopilot, and you haven't paused to check in with yourself to say, did the decision I made at 13 or 18 or 24, did I even know who I was to be making those decisions? And it also gave no room for growth and change. And what I was experiencing was I was growing and changing and I didn't know how to grow and change within the confines of the small world I had created for myself. And it was a really scary and daunting task to slow down and look at myself because here's the thing. I think awareness is the best gift we can give ourselves and it comes with a lot of responsibility because once you're aware, you got to be willing to accept what you see and what are you going to do with it? Otherwise, you're just spinning still and you're staying stuck. Yeah. And, and like you said just now and a little bit earlier, holding up, it, that can be a painful process, deconstructing the selves that yeah. we've created and holding up the mirror and being willing to actually honestly look at it and then respond to what we're seeing and seeing it, uh, seeing reality and, and not all the different, um, the filters that we put on Peel, peeling those away. can take a while. Um, and it's and the very thing that people are afraid most to do. Mm -hmm. And yet they're also unhappy and unsatisfied and unfulfilled. And then they say, I'm stuck, but I don't know what to do. It's like, well, you do know what to do. It's just hard to do it. Yeah. So you've, you've referred several times to mindfulness. Yes. Um, let's, let's step back for a second and just define some terms. So what do you mean by mindfulness? Um, you, you, I, I you, love you, that you asked that. You've given some examples, but let's talk about what do you mean by mindfulness and why, why is it so important? Why does it matter? Yeah. Um, well, like I said, I, I, I think mindfulness, I think, is the answer to everything. Um, whether you're sitting in traffic or dealing with cancer, the tools are going to be the same. It's all about how you respond and not react to what's arising. So here's how I define it. And let me qualify this by saying, when I first started practicing this, I, I delved in professionally, I delved in personally, I went on retreats with some of the top mindfulness teachers in the country, in the world, and I was still really confused with what it meant. It felt very esoteric to me and this very conceptual practice. So one of the things that I try to do in my work is teach it in a way that's more practical application and take it from this conceptual to practical. So I define mindfulness as living with greater awareness, 
greater attention and greater intention. Okay, that still sounds pretty conceptual. What does that even mean? It's greater awareness, which means just to notice rather than be distracted from or afraid to look at, noticing what's arising both inside of us and around us. So what's going on inside of us? So we've got thoughts, we've got emotions, we have sensations in our body. What's going on around us is we've got distractions, we've got people, we've got devices, and we tend to just live on autopilot. So we can just start by increasing awareness of, oh, look, that's an interesting thought versus the automatic pilot of believing the thought, acting on the thought of it as if it's true and if it's, you know, reality. It's giving space for your emotions to exist instead of automatically judging them as good or bad and pushing away the bad ones and holding on to the good ones. It's just allowing and accepting. The second component that I said is paying attention. So what do we want to pay attention to? Well, we have typical habits and patterns and mindsets and tendencies of what we normally do when those things arise, the thoughts, the emotions, the sensations, the distractions. So if we're just paying attention to normally when a thought comes in, I believe it and then act on it as truth, let me see if I can pause and just observe it. Because what happens when we can create what's called an observer mind, which is a fancy way of creating some space, right? And just not over identifying with everything that's coming up, giving some space between you and the thought, you and the emotion, you and the distraction, you and this other person. Now you can come to the third answer or the third component of my definition of mindfulness, which is intention. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Because if I can have the awareness that I've been living on autopilot and oftentimes I've old habits, those old patterns, maybe I formed from a core memory in childhood that I took on this belief system that served me then, but maybe 20 years later is not serving me now. I can have the awareness to respond intentionally. And one of the ways that we want to respond is by staying really present. That's another key component of mindfulness is being present. Because if we're not present, where are we? Well, our mind wanders at least 47% of the time. So we go to the past where we ruminate and get stuck. We go to the future where we have anxiety and fear. And we're often missing what's right here in front of us. So being more mindful is easier said than done. We're not supposed to be constantly on awareness 24-7. So to me, it's, it's not just noticing whether or not we're aware and being present. It's having the awareness of when we're not. When we've sunk back into autopilot or another component of mindfulness is, is to be compassionate to ourselves, to others. The autopilot might be judgment, right? We have a pretty loud inner critic. So when we notice that old inner critic starts, you know, yapping their, their mouth again. Oh, look at that. My inner critic's kicking in. Let me see if I can just quiet that down by being compassionate to myself and say, this is really hard right now. Because at the root of all of this is the ability to connect with my breath, connect with my body, get out of those distractions, out of those autopilots. And it is going to positively affect everything. And I don't say that lightly because we know that these tools can help rewire our brains to be happy, happier and healthier people. We know that mindfulness um, affects our, on a cellular level. Like it's kind of crazy, the science that has come out. You know, and here's a practice that's 2,500 years old. 
that in the East where it was originated, they didn't care what was happening in the brain and the body. It was just the way of life. But here in the West, we necessitated science to figure out, I'm only gonna do what has been scientifically proven and therefore worth my time. Otherwise, I'll dismiss it. So what the West discovered was that our brain can actually create new habits and patterns, which goes against everything of the, the mentality of you can't teach an old dog new tricks. It turns out you can. So the things in your life that aren't working, if it starts with awareness to understand where you're stuck, then you can gain the tools to be able to shift out of that. And this is going to positively affect your relationships, relationship to yourself for starters, right? Um, I know, I mean, one of my biggest passions is to do parenting work, to create a, a new shift in the home. Parents have really great intentions, but really poor execution. They often yell at their kids to be quiet, which is the biggest paradox and it never works, right? Um, being able to be more mindful in the workplace is to number one, recognize our brains are not designed to multitask. We can't do it. The more we try to do, the less we're getting done. So we have a culture of this um, glorification of busyness, which is completely doing a disservice to actually getting productive, to being focused, to having effective workplace communication and skill sets. You know, we focus on what we're not doing versus focusing on what have we already accomplished. Like there's layers and layers of where mindfulness shows up in our lives. And it's all, to me, it's gotta start with awareness. Awesome. And let's, let's drill down a little bit on, on Please. mindfulness in the workplace. Yes. You just listed off a bunch of really important reasons why we should be considering it as organizational leaders, as we're trying to lead our people, have a healthy workplace environment and culture. Uh, we want healthy, happy, productive, motivated people. Um, one of the things that you, you were, were just mentioning connects directly to, I think, the ability for us to innovate and be creative. So if we're going through the grind and we're just busy for busyness sake, um, we're just trying to uh, fill our day with tasks to be done, we are not allowing ourselves the opportunity to be reflective in our practice towards people so we can end up harming people even if it's unintentionally. But we also aren't allowing ourselves to think strategically because we're not giving our, our brains the, the time to do that. Uh, and we're not we're not giving ourselves the headspace to be able to be creative and innovative. So most innovation happens um, when we are able to quiet our mind, when we're able to start to notice new connections that we hadn't perceived before. And that that's not going to be what happens as we're just going from thing to thing to thing, to meeting to meeting, and just trying to get things done. So let me, there's so much I want to share on that, but I want to get to some foundational a, a tools and understanding of why what you just described is happening. And it goes back to understanding brain science. So I'm going to describe some things about the brain, some simple brain science 101 that will help you both in work and at home and, and within yourself, right? So in, in all areas of your life. So first thing to really understand is we have our emotional brain, which is in the center part of our brain. When that fires off, so any um, strong emotion, you know, anger, stress, anxiety, overwhelm, um, you know, as I said earlier, in the workplace, we tend to glorify the busyness and we tend to multitask, which is going to cause greater stress. Um, so any strong emotion that fires off, 
What it does is it literally shuts down the prefrontal cortex, which is where all of our executive functioning resides. So the front part of our brain is where we've got logic, reason, rationality, decision-making, clear thinking, language, communication, problem solving. So if you're always stressed out, and let's keep it really simple, you've got a long inbox of emails, you've got a long to-do list of tasks and back-to-back -back meetings, your brain is gonna experience that stress and overwhelm because you're not giving yourself a moment to pause. That constant stress is shutting down the ability to access your resources. So if you're always going, 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 you're not operating at a full cylinder. So it's, it's counterintuitive to recognize you've got to slow down to become more effective. And so there's two ways to quiet down that emotional brain and bring that executive functioning back to work. One is to breathe. When you breathe, it's going to calm the brain. It's going to calm the body. It's a physiological response. And two, science shows that naming it, even just simply saying, wow, I'm really stressed right now automatically quiets the alarm in our brain because what you're doing is you are now observing the stress versus being in the middle of the stress so you're creating that space and in that space you have the ability to say oh look at that i'm really stressed what do i want to do with that if i stay stressed i'm only going to get more stressed so the two things of breathing and naming it allows your executive function to go back to work so if we can stay in the space of allowing our resources to be accessible, then we'll be able to stay creative and innovative and communicative. So that's like kind of some of the basic brain science piece of it. And understand our brain was designed as cavemen to, for survival. So we were constantly on the lookout for potential threats. And what that has caused is we've been designed with this negativity bias where Back in the day, it kept us safe, but now this negativity bias perpetuates focusing on the what's wrong, and we fail to shift into focusing on what's going well. And but because we know that our brain can change and we've got this neuroplasticity, we can rewire these new habits, we also can begin to shift the lens through which we view ourselves and our work and each other in the world. So one of the things that I talk about when I do corporate trainings and mindfulness is something super simple for managers or bosses. If let's say there's a, a Monday morning meeting or a daily check-in, start by asking your team, what's going well so far today? What have you already accomplished? Let's start off with the positives. Even something as simple as shifting our awareness of how we're structuring a meeting or your to-do list can get you out of that negativity bias, can help calm the brain from the stress and overwhelm of the to-do list, and you can have the compassion to say, wow, this has been a lot, but look at what I've already accomplished. You know, it's these little things that have really big impact. And, you know, part of it is having a culture of appreciation. Because again, the more we can focus on what's going well, it's gonna help calm down that stress in the brain allowing that creativity, the innovation, the, the ability to get through our tasks with greater presence. Because the more we just try to do it and get it done, we're going through the motions, we're not present for any of it. Because we can check off all the, all the items on the to-do list, but if you weren't present for any of it, does it really matter? Yeah, and you're not learning through it. And no. Yeah, and, and 
when that approach is taken, then ultimately we come out the other end, uh, maybe having accomplished a few things, um, but we're not finding en engagement, joy, satisfaction through what we've accomplished. We're not growing from what we accomplished. And, no. and likely we, we haven't energized the tasks that we've performed, right? So we're just kind of, often we end up no. doing the bare, the bare minimum. Well, and you know, we also, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, we have a pretty loud inner critic and that causes a cycle of judgment and reactivity. And when we can start to work on replacement inner critic with a voice of compassion within ourselves, we have a greater ability to do that with others. And I, what I, one of the things that I've seen is a shift in the corporate world is there seems to be not only a greater awareness, but desire to create a more compassionate work environment. And I think one of the positive results of COVID has been the compassion of allowing people to be human at work again. And, you know, having to be on a Zoom call for a meeting and having your dog barking or to have your child crying or to having, you know, the internet be unstable. You are now seeing people being more human in a corporate setting. And I think that is one of the best things that corporate world and companies and corporate culture adopts is this humanness versus this robotic approach to just get things done. I completely agree. Um, and I've, I've noticed in, in some of the meetings I've been in, um, there have been leaders that have even taken the time to pause and just recognize the heightened level of stress, anxiety that people are having just because of the pandemic and the uncertainty and kids yes. being at home and, you know, teaching kids at home while trying to work and just all these different elements. You know, I've been really impressed by some leaders where I've seen them openly acknowledge that, express compassion for the employees, look for ways to offer accommodations, and to recognize that this is, it's tough, it's difficult. Um, and and yeah. rather, than, rather than just expecting everyone to suck it up and, and push through, actually taking the time to acknowledge the pain, the, the struggle, the anxiety, whatever it may be, um, and and then you can have a dialogue about it and, and, and just feel uh, you can connect with, uh, with your coworkers and you can have a chance to, to support each other. Um, it's a simple thing. Uh, well, and to it, me, that, that's the ultimate of being mindful because that's allowing and honoring what's arising in this moment. That's paying attention. That's noticing, all right, let's face the elephant in the room because it's what's here. If I continue to deny, resist, and ignore it, then I'm cutting you off from allowing yourself to fully express yourself. And you know, I think people want to take a lot of pride in their career. And it's hard when we have to show up inauthentically. And I get it. There's, you know, there's a space for professionalism. And I would love to see a world in which professionalism and authenticity or compassion don't have to be two separate things, that we can be one and the same because it's showing up as a whole self. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it has been a real pleasure talking with you. We're about out of time. Um, I'm, you know, as we're talking more and more, I have more and more questions, more and more things that I would love to discuss with you. So perhaps we could have the opportunity 
um, to, to do this again sometime. I'd love to have you back and, and we can have. Um, I would be happy to. I, I think these are such important conversations and yeah. I'd be happy to come back again anytime. Awesome. Well, before we close today, uh, I want to give you a chance to share with the listeners how they can get connected with you and learn more about uh, the work you do. Yeah, the best place to find me is my website, joryrose.com. It's J-O-R-E-E-R-O-S-E.com. There you'll find all my social media outlets. You can connect with me on, I'm mostly on Instagram and Facebook. And you'll also get access to connect with my podcast, Journey Forward with Jory Rose. I also have online courses and meditations. I lead retreats around the world. I've got plenty of resources. So that's the one-stop shop to connect best. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Uh, it's been a true pleasure uh, talking with you. I really appreciate your perspective and the expertise that you bring to bear uh, in, in terms of mindfulness and how we can apply that in all aspects of our lives, but also within the workplace. Uh, I hope you stay healthy. Have a, Absolutely, have a wonderful weekend. So and we'll be in touch. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.